I am so glad that you are here today for this text. It's a text that is so familiar. Realistically, our series, which we started a few weeks back, is called David, a man after God's own heart. It's a series that we're looking at Well, someone who's pretty famous in the Bible, but recognizing that David sticks out above is different than just about everybody else at that time. What makes David a man after God's own heart? What makes him stick out? You know, our series started off by focusing on Saul. Saul was a a man who was head and shoulders above everyone. He looked really good on the outside, and God actually set up King Saul quite well. But what we found out is that he literally failed miserably. It was his lack of respect for God and his partial obedience that did him in. Then we learned that God chose an anointed David as king, a a young shepherd boy. It was clear that God's choice was different than man's choice. This week is quite the story, a story I am sure every one of you have heard, maybe read 10 times, maybe even 100 times. But I'd like you to listen again. If you would, you can turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to start at verse 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen. I've asked Lacey and Daryl to literally read almost this whole chapter to us. So you can follow along. 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting at verse 3. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills, with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead, that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at that time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemaiah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, But David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champions strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, 
Jesse said to David, Take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts, as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon, the Israelite and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual, usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, What will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway, that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? And these men gave David the same reply. They said, Yes, that is the reward for killing him. But when David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. What have I done now, David replied. I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Don't worry about the Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do this to the pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bared ahead of him. Sneering in contempt of this ruddy-faced boy, am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people but not with sword and spear, 
This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with a sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines. Wow. When, when you read that story again, you, you just, you know, you're trying to get all of the details. But what I'm afraid of a little bit today is not that you don't know the story. It's that you almost dismiss the story. You've heard it so many times. My hope is that you see this story with new and fresh eyes. There are so many applications and so much more than God defeats giants in our lives and helps underdogs defeat the powerful. Let me pray. Let me pray. Father, this day, I pray that you would open our eyes. Lord, your word is powerful. Your word is life-transforming. Your word is like a hammer, and your word is like a fire. Your word is like a sword. Lord, your word is given to us to help us understand your heart and your mind. It teaches us, and it challenges us, and it reproves us. Father, this is not a children's story. This is a story, an amazing story about a young man who had faith in you, a young man whose heart was after your heart, a young man that reflected his faith in you in the midst of unbelievable circumstances. We pray, dear Father, that you would excite us and encourage us and empower us and convict us this day. Lord, we pray for our world, our world that feels chaotic, our world that seems splintered, our world that seems desperate. We pray, God, that you would touch and work and do things in it and bring yourself glory. We pray for harvesters, Father, that will go into the field because you have told us the harvest is ready. People need to hear good news and to be able to trust you. We pray for churches in our area, Father. We pray for Grace Point and for Northbridge and for redemption. We ask you, God, that you would be with those congregations, those flocks, that they might hear from you and be empowered and be unleashed. Father, we pray for us. We pray for all the teachers and the kids who are downstairs. We pray for all the ministries that are going on. We pray, dear God, that as your word is faithfully proclaimed or as we meet in groups or as we share our hearts and pray for one another, Lord, that you would be lifted up and that your body would be strengthened. Lord, it's hard not to see that huge box in the lobby. That box that has taken weeks to get here, months to get here. 
It's not about the box. It's not about the lift, God. But, but we are so grateful for what that is going to do and how we are going to serve people differently. We pray, Father, not only that gets installed, but that we will continue to move forward in some of these improvements. We ask for your wisdom. We ask, dear God, that you would walk before us. Lord, there's something really big coming up, and we've called it the taste of Crosspoint. Lord, it's something new. It's something different. It's, it's something we're asking our flock to partner with us about, that we might be able to ask those, our acquaintances, our neighbors, our co-workers, or maybe don't have a church, don't have a hope. Maybe they've never even heard good news. We pray, dear God, that you would fill this place, that you would give us courage to invite, that we would, Lord, be able to represent you well that Sunday and all the Sundays to come. God, we are grateful. We love you. and want to learn today, Lord. We do. Pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. You know, there's so much more about David than a story about a lad who could sling. We've seen that. And to us, even if we would say the word slingshot, we wouldn't get the picture of the type of sling that David had. But slinging, although unusual to us, was not unusual back in David's time. In fact, I am pretty sure that David wasn't even the best slinger. He probably wasn't. But I know this. Is that David was chosen to be the next ruler for a reason. Not necessary for his slinging. Sure, he could. But he could also shepherd. He could also play the harp. And even as you picture that harp thing... Maybe play the guitar would be better, at least in our culture here. But he was different than the other boys and the other shepherds, and certainly than his brothers. David was a man after God's own heart, a man that focused on God, not self-focused or culturally driven. I think you'll miss the point if we see Goliath as a specific giant in our lives. Although you can go this route. Goliath was just the challenge David encountered that day. You see, as you look around, life is hard. It's filled with challenges, delays, and obstacles. Shall we say giants? There's always road construction. Cracked windshields, surgeries, promotions, demotions, bad calls, flat tires, ice storms, shipwrecks, failed exams, divorce, canceled flights, dead batteries, lost luggage, uh, tickets, weeds, tornadoes, warped two-by-fours, broken promises, Delayed lift deliveries. And of course, the challenge of the Green Bay Packers. 
The question for today is, how do we face the daily challenges that God allows in our lives? Do we run toward them or do we run away? Do we complain or do we embrace them? Do we deal with life in our own power or our own perspective? Or do we see our pathway as ordained by God and that he walks with his people and that we can trust him? It is clear in our text that David had a relationship with God. He walked with God. In our Cross Point Church vocabulary, I would say his up relationship was really good. Now, we may not understand how good it is in this text, but if we go to some of the Psalms that David wrote at various times in his life, we're going to see how important God was. In Psalm 1611, David says this, You will show me the way of life, Lord, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. That's oftentimes not the picture we get. Joy in his presence. We're excited to walk with God and how pleasurable it is to live with God. Psalm 26, starting in verse 6. I've come to your altar, O Lord, singing a song of thanksgiving and telling you of all your wonders. I love your sanctuary. And and in our language, that may sound like, hey, I really like the church or the temple. Well, the sanctuary was where God was present. So it could easily be translated, I love being where you are, God the place where your glorious presence dwells. Psalm 27, 4. The one thing I ask of the Lord. Whoa, you just stop right there. David writing this. Hey, if you had, you know, the genie in the bottle thing. Hey, you get one wish. What is it? Boom, what is it? One wish. David says this. The one thing I ask of the Lord. The thing I seek most, that just means the biggest priority in my life, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to be present with God, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating on him in his temple. Psalm 42, we're talking about David here. As a deer longs for streams of waters, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? When can I go and just be with him? Psalm 59, 16. But as for me, I will sing about your power, David writes. Each morning I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. And listen to Psalm 63, starting at verse 1. Oh, God. Oh, God, David writes, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. No one can satisfy like you, God. 
I have seen you in your, sac- in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting my hands up to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. Whoa. Not even trying to bring guilt. But if I'm honest... When is the last time I desired God more than a rack of ribs? Just trying to be honest there. And David says, (laughs) so so what makes David so different? What makes David different is his relationship with God. David loved God. Growing in up is spending time with God. It's reading, it's listening, it's praying. You know you have a great up relationship when reading the word isn't about information or prayer isn't about crisis. You read the word, you pick this up because you literally miss God. This is your love letter. This is your dad talking to you. You you just want to hear from him. You pray because God is your friend. It's like gazing at a landscape. The picture that's by you, it it pales probably in what happened. But last week, Sharon and I were just literally going for a walk. And we rounded this turn, and that's what we saw. And we just stopped. The truth was, we didn't talk about the atmosphere. We didn't talk about how light is coming in. We didn't, you know, stop and take a soil sample, you know, hoping to get this. We just enjoyed it. Whoa, look, look at this. Look at this sight. David had a relationship with his shepherd. He loved being with him. And as a result, we can learn so much about David from his responses to Eliab, Saul, and the giant. You see, David's responses show us the importance of a healthy up relationship. Because he couldn't have responded like he did without being well connected with God, something that every one of us have the ability to do because of God's grace and because of his love and because he sent Jesus to pay the debt of our sin so we could be restored and redeemed and enjoy this relationship. Oh, God, you are something. You are something. First, let's look at David's responses to Eliab. Maybe all older brothers talk to their young punk brothers the way Eliab did. All right? And what are you doing here? Uh, Don't you have some sheep to go watch? What's your problem? But you know what's so interesting? And you guys all know you have maybe brothers or sisters or maybe your parents and and you know how siblings are. And sometimes we just say, oh, well, they're just siblings. 
But we know how to push each other's buttons, don't we? And David was different. He, he didn't fight back in spite of the demeaning comments and judgments. He basically focused on the enemy and ignored his brother. Remember, Eliab was part of the unresponsive or unconnected in spite of his family. There was a reason Eliab wasn't picked. All right? So David treated him not as he deserved, but as a man after God's own heart, knowing what to fight, what to say, and what to let go. David's response to the king. The king hears about this young buck. He's already been introduced to him, not even sure he knew who he was until he saw him. But realistically, David comes into the king's presence. He says, hey, don't worry about the Philistine. I'll fight him. Now picture this. The deal was, you win, we all win. (laughs) You lose, we all lose. So this punk kid comes up, you know, white-eyed, bushy-tailed, all this energy. Woohoo! King, no problemo. We got this one, man. We are going forward. I'll fight him. And Saul's response is, is probably an honest one. Uh, sure you will, little buddy. Sure. Saul sees David through man's eyes. Remember? Because he sees through the eyes of a man that doesn't know God, that's not following God. He sees David as a squirt. And actually, that's what he was. But David wasn't dissuaded, he persisted. He did. My God is faithful. My God is powerful. I cannot stand by. I was there one time. I heard this giant defy the armies of the living God. Do do you understand that, king? And then he goes on. I have experienced God's strength. And I know God will use me to do the same thing to Goliath that he did to the lion and bear. And let's be honest. Even if we're David and even if we're walking with God, uh, a lion and a bear come up. My gut is take the lamb. You can have them. Enjoy them. No, no. Somehow he sees things differently. Saul's response was so different even after hearing the taunt for 40 days. We know that. He was the leader. He probably should have been the one to do the fighting. He was stronger. He was more powerful than probably anybody. He also was king. So realistically, he heard this. And the response is, all the troops, including Saul, to run. Wow. That's a response, again, of someone who wasn't walking with God. He was a coward. He didn't know God. He eventually kind of succumbs, and he says, well, okay, take my armor. And and you heard the story. This 
armor of a very tall king putting on David. And David's response is, I don't want your armor. I've never used this armor. I can't use your armor. God gave me something else. He gave me a sling. He gave me a staff. You know what? That's what I'm using. God gave me weapons I'm using. That's why I love the bumper. I think God had been setting David up since his early days, knowing what it is to be a shepherd, using the sling and getting good at it. God, as I look back over the years, God has used different circumstances and situations in my life to set me up well. And it's done the same for you. There's no doubt. David said, I will use what God has given me. So armed with only a sling and a staff, It may seem very inadequate to you, King Saul, but I want you to know it's about my God. It is not about my equipment. And now what is the most surprising of all is David's responses to the giant. Now before we even look at his response, let me just remind you, can you imagine seeing Goliath up Close. Remember, he was a ways away. But now he's coming a little bit closer. We're told that he's over nine feet tall. In fact, most scholars will say closer to ten feet. (laughs) He wears a coat of armor weighing 125 pounds. I'm not even sure I can lift 125 pounds, much less wear it. The spearhead, 15 pounds. The man was well protected. It was unbelievable. And I got to tell you, his words were a little scary too. But David didn't see the giant nor hear the giant's words. His first response is, hey, giant, you come with a sword and a spear and a javelin. I come in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Basically, I think he's telling Goliath, you trust in the way man does training. You've been trained since a small child. You trust in the weapon man uses, swords, spears, and javelin. You trust in the way that man protects himself with armor. You trust in the way man picks soldiers because you were picked, the biggest and the strongest. You want the glory and your victory is going to depend on man's wisdom and tactics. And by looking at him, he certainly should have won. David just says, I come in the name of the Lord. I come in God's power. I know, my God, we have a relationship. I trust in the God of heaven's armies. I depend upon God, not a man. 
My God is faithful and proven and powerful. And you crossed the line. What's so cool is all the way through the scriptures, God uses the weak in order to show his power. It's so interesting. In Hebrews chapter 11, so many of you know it as the hero of faith chapter. And the author goes through all these biblical, historical folks and just share because of their faith, there were some amazing things that happened and lists person after person after person. And then about verse 34, the author who wrote Hebrews says this, their weaknesses were turned into strength. All these people that we see are heroes. They're all heroes because they were weak. They trusted God and God received the glory. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we studied 2 Corinthians not too long ago, but starting at verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes this, we ourselves, talking about believers, are like fragile clay jars, ordinary earthen vessels, clay pots, nothing really to look at. But the reason we are is that we contain a great treasure, That makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. So when God works, it's not because of you or me, because of how smart you are, how strong you are, how much schooling you have, how much experience. People will look at you and say, you're a clay pot. You certainly couldn't do this. God, you're amazing and powerful. You see, David knew the battle was God's, not his. I love him. Proverbs 21, 31. Solomon writes this. Prepare your horse for battle, which to us might not make a whole lot of sense, but if you're going to battle, you need to make sure your horse is ready, your armor's ready, your weapons are all ready. And then the next line. But it is God who gives the victory. So God says this, says, hey, the battle's mine. Walk with me, listen to me, and I'm going to defeat the enemy. Now notice how offended David is at the giant's taunt. Saul and the armies have heard it for 40 days and run. David is absolutely livid. When someone walks with God and attacks God or demeans God or defiles God, there's hardly ever a casual response. David's talked up. David was offended. Whoa. Not many had a relationship with God like David nor experienced his presence. What that giant said were lies, and he would not stand for it. You know, truthfully, as I wrap up today, I hope you walk away inspired 
to grow in your intimacy with God. Because it's only in a healthy up relationship that gives you power and perspective for the daily challenges. I, I hope you don't walk away saying, oh, okay, uh, with God I can do anything. Say, so, well, well, Rick, that is a good thing. That's true. It is. But realistically, it's walking with God and having this intimate relationship that gives you the ability to be able to take care of the giants. You see, what's so cool is David was not intimidated because his eyes were not on the giant. His eyes were on God. Do you realize that? David wasn't afraid because he didn't see how big that giant was. He saw how big his God was. You see, it never was about the size of the giant. It was about the size of his God. He knew his God. He trusted his shepherd. And he obeyed his father. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a life where you can embrace every challenge with attitude. I'm not saying be cocky. I'm not saying be arrogant. But with attitude. Whatever comes in your path. However you see life. Because of your rich relationship with God, you know very well that everything that comes in your pathway, God allows it or God ordains it. And we're not necessarily shocked and we're not necessarily ticked, but we're confident. God, you gave this to me. God, you you gave me this husband or this wife. God, you gave me this job. God, you gave me these neighbors. God, you gave me this car. God, you allowed, and you can just fill in the blank. You see, your priority will be to spend time with God and listen to his voice. And you will see life different. Because when you do, you will see God work in and through you. Giants will fall. Earthen clay jars will experience God's power and faithfulness. You know, what's so cool is that villages, churches, Neighborhoods and schools can change. I've seen churches and camps built basically by high school kids. You know, they're the ones that aren't mature enough. And they're the ones who, well, don't see God that well, right? But I've seen it happen. Not only in their lives, but in adults' lives. I've seen families and relationships mended and healed and strengthened. 
I've seen the word of God transform self-centered, arrogant people into other-centered servants of the living God. As I said, so much of it over these years. I've seen 14, 15, 16, and 17-year-olds make an impact. And nobody could give them credit, none. Because they're still squirrely and immature. 14, 15, 16, and 17-year-olds. You see, you will walk around as you stay connected with God, dragging a giant's head in weapons, you will be victorious. I'd like you at this moment, if you would, bow your heads with me and just shut your eyes. I'm going to ask you to actually have a private moment. I'd like you to spend some time praying, just you and God. Thanking God for who he is. Responding. Maybe there was something that God poked you about today. Yes, it's such a familiar story, but, but maybe there's areas you need to grow in. I trust you've been inspired. I, I trust that you are drawn to the God of David. So for a moment, we're just going to have you talk to God. Converse with him. And I will close in just a moment. Father, we know the battle is yours. But sometimes, God, if if we're honest, we don't really nurture the relationship that we have. Some may be sitting here, Father, have never come to faith. And I know you're calling them. You would love to have them be a son or a daughter. Some, Father, have been your kids for a long time, but our lives have been busy. We ask you, dear God, that you would change our hearts, that you would draw us to yourself, that we would open your word because we miss you and pray because you're our friend. Lord, when that happens, we see circumstances in life differently. You begin to reflect yourself in us. We treat others the way you want us to treat others. God, you do some amazing things in and through clay jars, 
ordinary earthen vessels. And God, at the end of the day, you receive the glory because we're not smart enough and we're not strong enough. We don't have your perspective. So God, do a work in us. Start with us. May we, as Crosspoint, your church, reflect you well. May we see things differently. And may we respond quicker. God, you are an amazing God. And we love you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.